Welcome to The Scientist Speaks, a podcast produced by the Scientists Creative Services team. Our podcast is by scientists and for scientists. Once a month, we bring you the stories behind newsworthy molecular biology research. This month's episode is sponsored by PHCBI. PHC Corporation of North America is a global leader in the development, design, and manufacturing of laboratory equipment. Products include the space-saving and energy-efficient VIP Eco, TwinGuard, and VIP Series ultra-low temperature freezers, cryogenic and biomedical freezers, pharmacy and high-performance refrigerators, cell culture, CO2, and multi-gas incubators, and Drosophila and plant growth chambers. An estimated 107,000 people in the United States are currently on the waiting list for organ transplantation. These patients face waiting times of three to five years or longer before receiving an organ. Even after receiving a donated organ, organ transplant patients face a high risk of tissue rejection. Regenerative medicine promises the possibility of laboratory-grown organs, specially tailored to the biology and needs of individual patients. But how close is this technology to reality? In this month's episode, we discuss the potential of regenerative medicine to replace damaged organs and tissues in cases where stem cell and regenerative medicine influence health today. Tiffany Garbutt of the Scientist's Creative Services team spoke with Anthony Atala, the W. Boyce Professor and Chair of Urology and the G-Link Professor and Director of the Wake Forest Institute for Regenerative Medicine, to learn more. Growing human organs in a laboratory and transplanting them into patients seems like science fiction. Yet in the Piedmont of North Carolina, science fiction is becoming a reality. Anthony Atala and his team of researchers at the Wake Forest Institute for Regenerative Medicine have generated laboratory-grown skin, penises, vaginal tracts, kidneys, uterines, bladders, and more. Atala and his research group pioneered the first 3D bioprinter to print human tissue on demand. More than two decades ago, Atala and his team transplanted the first-ever laboratory-grown organ, a bladder, into a human. When we do place these technologies into patients, that's really the the best feeling for us. We have now 15 applications of our technologies in patients, and uh, this year uh, we're going to implant our 16th technology. What drives us is, can we make patients better? The idea of regenerative medicine is not new. It was first postulated in the 1930s by Alexis Carell and Charles Lindbergh. Yes, the same Charles Lindbergh who flew across the Atlantic in their publication, The Culture of Organs. But before scientists could make this idea a reality, they needed to overcome the major hurdle of getting cells to grow successfully in a dish. Early on, scientists hoped to take human embryonic stem cells and differentiate them into the various cell types needed to grow an organ. However, these cells proved to be termogenic. In 2006, the introduction of induced pluripotent stem cells revived the hope that scientists would be able to differentiate stem cells into various cell types for personalized tissue regeneration and organ growth. But induced pluripotent stem cells also cause tumors. Instead of relying on stem cells, scientists like Atala now use committed adult cells with designated functions to grow the various parts of an organ. Using committed cells requires scientists to know the exact ideal growth conditions for each cell type within a tissue. Our preference is to use the patient's own tissue-specific cells. Three decades ago, when we started this work, most human cell types could not be grown and expanded outside the body. We just did not even know how to get the cells to grow. We just did not understand the cell biology well enough. So many advances over the last three decades get us to where we are today. We take a very small biopsy of the patient, less than half the size of a postage stamp. 
for example, of making skin to get a small biopsy, a small piece of tissue from the patient's own skin. If we're making a blood vessel, we're going to take cells from that patient's very own blood vessel. Basically, every organ in our body has committed progenitor cells that we know are going to give rise to that tissue type. And that makes it easy because by using the patient's own tissue-specific cells, those cells already know what they need to do. The cartilage cell knows that it's going to become a cartilage cell. And not only that, but because the cells come from the same patient, you can avoid rejection and you do not need medications to preserve them. Atala and his team began their foray into regenerative medicine by culturing skin cells. Skin is a complex organ, but it grows as a flat structure. This contrasts with tubular structures such as blood vessels, which are less complex than non-tubular organs such as the bladder, which interacts and functions with other organs. The most complex organs to generate are solid organs such as the kidney, liver, and heart. To regenerate these organs, Atala and his team culture organ-specific cells on biodegradable scaffolds. We expand the cells outside the body, all the cell types that we need to recreate the tissue. And we then match it with a scaffold system. The scaffold could be made by hand. We can use artificial scaffolds. We can use natural scaffolds. The challenge for us is when we start building solid organs. That is when it occurred to us, why don't we take a discard solid organ and use very mild detergents to wash the cells away? And you're left with a three-dimensional scaffold system that basically reproduces the architecture of the organ but minus the cells and repopulated with cells. So we did a lot of studies using that approach. And then a number of years ago, we started looking at 3D printing to really automate the process. Instead of creating scaffolds by hand, 3D bioprinting allowed Atala and his team to automate scaffold creation, resulting in reproducible and reliable scaffolds. They use these scaffolds to manufacture laboratory-grown organs more rapidly and cost-effectively enabling the distribution of regenerative medicine technologies to more patients in less time. Despite the automated production of organs, Atala and his team still tailored their technology to the unique biology of each patient by performing multiple imaging assays to determine the anatomical dimensions of each patient. They then changed the size of the printer instructions accordingly. The programming of the printing is the same. Much like the ink cartridges in a standard printer, Atala's 3D bioprinter contains cartridges full of a patient's own cells. The cell-filled cartridges manufacture a patient-tailored three-dimensional organ in a matter of hours. These advances enabled Atala and his team to create an interconnected system of miniaturized human organs, about one millionth the size of adult human organs, to more rapidly and accurately explore drug toxicity. This body-on-a-chip model of all the organs in the human body is the world's most sophisticated model of the human body to date. We really postulated many, many years ago that we could actually use regenerative medicine strategies for drug toxicity testing and personalized medicine to really miniaturize organs. The strategy was not to use just a cluster of cells, but to use the same format of using the cells and the matrix, the glue that holds the cells together, and to use all the cells in the right proportions, just like if we were going to implant this particular tissue organ into a patient. We came at it from an approach that let's create miniature organs in reality, just like we would for a human. And if you do that, then they really do have a very high fidelity to the normal tissue or organ. 
Atala and his team are currently using their body-on-a-chip system to test the effect of chemical and biological warfare agents on human organs, as well as drug toxicity. In a proof-of-principle experiment, Atala and his team used their body-on-a-chip system to test two drugs that were previously approved and recalled from the market to see if their system could identify potential toxicities where other systems had failed. There's a drug called Hismanol. It was an antihistamine uh, for allergies. It was tested in cell lines, human cell lines, and no toxicity was noted. Had been tested in animals, no toxicity noted. Had been tested in phase one, two, and three human clinical trials, no toxicity noted. The drug is released into the marketplace. It took 11 years for physicians to realize that this one drug was causing heart block in patients. 11 years later, the drug was actually recalled. We tested the drug that had been recalled by the FDA. And within two weeks, we knew the drug was toxic to the heart. Same mechanism of action, same drug dose response. A more tragic example is uh, a drug called Resolin. It was an anti-diabetic. Same thing. It had been tested in cell lines, animal models, phase one, two, and three human clinical trials. No toxicity. Gets uh, approved for human use. Within three years, there were 63 deaths due to liver failure. Drug is pulled from the market. We took the drug, tested in our system. Within two weeks, we knew the drug was toxic to the liver. Same mechanism of action, lipid accumulation, same drug dose response. Why was Atala's body-on-a-chip system able to quickly detect drug toxicity where cell lines, animal models, and even human clinical trials had failed? Atala believes that his system is so successful because it takes away the noise caused by individual differences detected by other systems. For example, everyone has a different genetic background, eats a different diet, lives in a different environment, and even metabolizes drugs slightly differently. To detect differences caused by these effects, physicians would have to screen numerous patients, which is often impractical. In contrast, Atala's simplified miniaturized body-on-a-chip system gets rid of all that noise, so that the only remaining variable is the effect of the drug on the human body. We're actually using the system extensively for investigation for cancer patients. Right now, we have about 10 different types of cancer here at Wake Forest, where the patient gets a biopsy. For their tumor diagnosis, we get a small segment of it that we can then create a a tumor in a chip. Then we can start testing chemotherapy agents on these chips to try to predict what this agent would do in a patient. When you start treating a patient with chemotherapy, it may take six months before you know whether the drug is working or not. And by then it may be too late. And so by trying these therapies on these tumor in a chip, you can hopefully predict what would work best on a specific patient's tumor. The field of regenerative medicine continues to evolve and advance as scientists discover new approaches to regenerate damaged tissue. In 2007, Atala and his team identified and characterized a new type of stem cell found in amniotic fluid and the placenta. These stem cells, unlike embryonic stem cells and induced pluripotent stem cells, do not appear to cause tumors. One of the nice things about amnion and placental stem cells is that they have properties of both adult and embryonic stem cells, but a lot of the advantages of those cells, but not the disadvantages. And we started postulating that perhaps there would be a stem cell population in the amniotic fluid and the placenta, because in a human embryonic stem cell, you're taking those cells at about 20 days after combining the 
sperm with the egg. We postulated that perhaps we could get a very similar stem cell just a few weeks later from a cell culture, from an incubator, but only by waiting an additional five weeks or six weeks, you could actually get these cells from the chorionic villi, which is in fact the placenta surrounding the developing baby in the womb. It was really a fishing expedition, just a crazy hypothesis, but we were lucky. We did indeed find a stem cell population in the chorionic villi, and we found the same population in the amniotic fluid. And the nice thing about these cells is that you can get them to expand into large quantities, uh, just like human embryonic and iPS cells. They uh, go into all three germ layers, just like human embryonic and iPS cells. They can grow in very large numbers, but they do not form the tumors. In April 2021, Atala and his team published the first study using human placental-derived stem cells for cell therapy. They tested the ability of these cells to repair intestinal damage caused by necrotizing enterocolitis, a life-threatening intestinal disease that affects 6% of premature infants in neonatal intensive care units. While the exact cause of the disease is unknown, it occurs when the wall of the intestine is invaded by bacteria. This invasion causes severe intestinal damage, infection, and inflammation, and is associated with a higher mortality rate. In the recent study, human placental-derived stem cells repopulated the damaged area and regenerated the damaged intestines of a preclinical animal model. These cells, because they have these unique properties, you can use them either as, uh, as you would a human embryonic or an iPS cell, or like you would an adult stem cell like bone marrow. So if you're able to take these cells and differentiate them into specific tissue types, then you can create specific tissues with them. You can use the same cell and use it for immunomodulation, just like bone marrow, but their properties for immunomodulation are actually stronger than bone marrow uh, or even fat cells or cord cells. Because they are earlier cells, they have a strong immunomodulatory component to them. And so they act very similar in terms of the distribution to bone marrow uh, stem cells where they migrate to the site of injury. Atala and his team are now exploring the possibility of using placental-derived stem cells for a variety of other clinical applications, including the regeneration of damaged tissues in COVID-19 patients. As scientists continue to face the challenge of safely unlocking the potential of embryonic and induced pluripotent stem cells, placental-derived stem cells offer a unique and promising alternative. Currently, scientists extract, grow, and expand stem cells outside the body before transplanting them for therapeutic purposes. But Atala believes that stem cell regeneration within the body might one day be a possibility. However, he cautions that advances in regenerative medicine take time, regardless of if they come from the laboratory-grown organs of adult cells, 3D bioprinted organs, miniaturized organs, or stem cell-based regeneration. Atala's clinical advances demonstrate that regenerative medicine is worth the wait. Typically for a technology to reach a patient, it's an average of about 14 years of work. And that's just for something like a pill that you take by mouth. But for these technologies, because they are so new, sometimes it's taken us 25 years before we can get these technologies to patients. To create these tissues, you're dealing with making sure that the cells are working the right manner, that the materials that you're using are able to interconnect that the cells are able to create normal tissue. We really don't put these technologies in patients until we are absolutely sure that we have something that works effectively time and time again in the laboratory. So we can assure the best success before it does get to the patient. It is a hard science because you're dealing with 
creating tissues and organs and using the patient's own cells to heal or repair injuries. There are hard technologies to get through and you really do need to work at it at a 360 level. The good news is that these technologies are in fact reaching patients today in many different indications and they are being successful. For us, it's really about getting more of these technologies to patients, increasing the indications that we can tackle. And we do know we have technologies that work and how can we keep expanding these technologies so that they are able to reach more patients safely and effectively. Thank you for listening to The Scientist Speaks. This episode was produced by the Creative Services team for The Scientist and narrated by Tiffany Garbutt. Thank you again to the PHC Corporation of North America for sponsoring this episode. Please join us next month as we explore custom-engineered T-cells and the hunt for potential targets for immuno-oncology therapeutics. To keep up to date with this podcast, follow The Scientist on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.